Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is the Rob Hansen Radio Program right here on the Tri-State's Undisputed Talk Leader. That would be KTUX 1340 AM. Now with FM. Let's get this thing started. It's the Rob Hansen Radio Program with Radio Rob right here on KTOX 1340, now with FM. And welcome, 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 welcome. Hiya, Frank. How you doing today? Doing good. I feel like I got a hangover and I didn't have a thing to drink because I was in a bar last night. Okay. I got it through osmosis. Which or which bar were you in last night? I was at Judy's Bar in the thriving ghost town of Oatman. Oh my goodness! And by the way, are the ghosts still there? Somebody took a picture of the Christmas lights in front of the museum. Uh huh. And when the picture was uh, developed, there's an orb there. Ooh, the ghosts are still there. The ghosts there. are there, nice. but it, they couldn't see it with the naked eye. But the camera, you can't hide that. Catches Other dimension. All. Catches all. Yeah, we got an exciting program today. We're going to, of course, uh, jump right into talking about uh, Bullhead City Fire District. Uh, some uh, really shocking revelations came to light uh, with the uh, resignation of the assistant fire chief. Yeah, and for all you Oatman radio fans, mm, oh, stay yes. tuned. We're going to have a special session about you later on in the show. Oh, yes. Well, that's my favorite section, actually. I'd, I'd like to it's open It's theirs, too. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to open with it, but, you know, this is uh, this is something else. I, the, 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 the audio I'm, I'm going to play here is uh, like 36 minutes and 32 seconds. So, you know, it's going to take up the majority of this first hour, and we are going to play it straight through. Because I can't pause it. Once I start it, I can't pause it. I don't know why. I'll have to figure that one out later. Or Yeah, that's all right. That's the, that's just technical details. But anyhow, uh, 855-586-9134. We'll be taking your phone calls on this as well. And if you've got... Uh, yeah, after, after it's played. After it's played. And I especially encourage Chief Southie or any of the other uh, uh, fire officials to call in or if you're a a boot that uh, rides a tailboard or used to <laughs> they don't do that anymore <laughs> you're welcome to call in and comment it yourself please do and uh i i extended an invitation to uh uh chief southie i haven't heard anything no comments so do 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 go figure there's no surprise there go figure so you know i'm i'm uh, beginning really 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 to wonder about this audio clip that we're going to listen to it, it, not in doubting it but i'm beginning to believe more and more of it because of the lack of response but you know 
we'll have to. We'll yeah, have I, to I'm curious. There hasn't even been a letter to the editor about that. That is true. Well, let's let's jump into this now. This is uh, Bullhead City Fire uh, Assistant Fire Chief. What what is his name? Oh, I'm so horrible with names. It's right there in the newspaper. Stevens, I believe. Stevens, that's right. <laughs> oh, there it is. I, I'm awful. It's. Uh, Stevens. <laughs> it's Stevens. Okay, okay well, let, let's listen to this. Mr. <clears throat> Mr. Chairman and members of the board, good morning to you. Um, I know we have a new board member present. I know we've met before, but if I would, I could take a moment to uh, introduce myself and explain to you what my role is in the fire department here. I am the assistant chief responsible for our emergency response operations. I oversee the baton chiefs and all of our emergency responders, as well as our training chief and our EMS chief. I have been with the Bullhead City Fire Department for two years. I've been the operations chief for the past 16 months. My background is stated as I worked 21 years with Anderson Fire Department um, before coming here. Each month, I give you all a report on the current status of our emergency operations. And this morning, I regret to inform you that I have reached the end of my rope with Bullhead Fire and have unfortunately submitted my letter of resignation. Um, I would like to make it clear that I'm resigning my position in protest I am resigning in protest of management practices that I believe are deceptive. Management practices that, in my opinion, are reckless and irresponsible. Management practices that, in my opinion, are negligent. The word negligence is a legal term, and I don't pretend for a minute to be an attorney. But I do believe that willfully violating your own policies and willfully violating federal law constitute negligence. Failing to properly train and failing to properly equip your people constitutes negligence. I am concerned that there is a very real risk that someone will suffer injury or death because of these decisions and practices. It may be a firefighter or it may be a citizen that we're called to help and are unable to do so because we're not properly trained and properly equipped. Um, if and when that happens, I believe we will be judged to be grossly negligent. I have worked internally for the past two years through the chain of command to try to address um, these issues that, in my opinion, compromise public safety uh, and our firefighters. Unfortunately, as an assistant chief, I have been unable to effect the necessary changes, and therefore I am resigning my position. I'll be on the books until January 4th. I submitted my resignation two weeks ago, and I'll work to the end of this week. Um, but I am available to you at any time follow up on any of these issues. Um, so this morning, to be clear, I'm addressing you not only as your chief of operations, but as a whistleblower. I would like to blow the whistle, if you will, and bring to your attention some very serious issues that I believe you need to be aware of. As the fire board, you have the ultimate responsibility to provide for the safety of the public as well as the safety of our employees. The fire district is not part of a municipal government. It's not part of the county or the city. There is no oversight from a city manager, a city attorney, a finance director, or an HR director. The fire, bar, the fire board provides the only oversight for all of those very important issues. Um, going forward, I have a healthy respect for transparency in government and a healthy respect for the open meeting law. I believe that many of my concerns, comments, and observations can be addressed now during my monthly update as the operations chief. I was advised yesterday that I cannot mention any names and cannot refer to anyone by rank. 
and I do have some clarification that I would like to seek on that. Also, I have requested an executive session, a closed door meeting, as to be a part of this meeting because some of the observations um, and, and, and information that I would like to share be, with you relate to personnel issues that I know shouldn't are not appropriate for an open discussion. Um, so going forward, I'm prepared now to address my remarks. I have worked overnight to try to craft them in such a way that I don't have to mention anybody by name. But I think at some point we need to have a frank discussion about some very real issues that are taking place and uh, we need to get to the point. So um, if there's any clarification you'd like to give me at this point, I'd be happy to listen to it. Otherwise, I, I would like to address my comments if you're willing to hear them. Floor is yours. Okay. To go back a bit, I started out here in Bullhead Fire the summer of 2015. I tested for a battalion chief position and Chief Livermore and I, uh, Captain Livermore at the time, and I finished in the top two positions. I was notified at the end of the um, testing process that there was a reorganization that had taken place and the BC position I tested for was no longer available and that Captain Livermore was being promoted to a now vacant training position and I was asked to consider a division chief position that the department would create specifically for me to come in and focus on accreditation and succession planning. Succession planning because there was a large number of turnover, a lot of folks leaving that uh, the department wanted me to help train the next generation of officers moving up. Accreditation, um, because I had worked in a department that had been accredited for multiple years and worked through the process, I was asked to come in and help with that. Um, to be clear, um, the, the accreditation process is designed to have you evaluate every piece of the puzzle that make up your organization and, and look at best practices, what would excellence look like, industry standards, and compare that to the way that you do business to do an honest self-assessment and say, what are we doing? What should we be doing? And what's the gap? And how do we close that gap? So that's what I was asked to come in and do. The gap plan that, uh, that, you, that you build to get from A to B, from where you're at to what you, where you're going, involves simply policies and procedures, people, equipment, and training. And so that's what I looked at as I evaluated this department to see if those were in place. Again, with the whole idea that we strive for excellence in all that we do. One of the first tasks in the accreditation process is to do a community risk assessment, which is a fancy way of saying what are all of the possible reasons that somebody might pick up the phone and call 911 for help, and are we prepared, and are we planning and prepared to address all of those issues? Do we have the policies, the people, the training and equipment to respond to all of those issues? Um, immediately, I referred to the department's standard operating procedures. Our operations plans and procedure, SOP 5.00, outlines 15 special operations that, according to this SOP, says the Bullhead City Fire Department will provide effective professional emergency response that covers an, covers an all-hazards approach to life safety. And there are 15 different functions listed there these services include, but are not limited to confined space rescue, trench rescue, dive rescue, and it goes on down to include aircraft, earthquake response, hazardous materials, et cetera, et cetera. So we are not simply a fire department. We, don't, we respond to far more than just fires. Now our bread and butter operations, day in and day out, we respond to building fires, car fires, motor vehicle accidents, and a whole plethora of emergency medical uh, emergencies. And we're very good at that. We provide excellent training in that. And I want to be very clear that the men and women in blue 
that respond out of our stations do an outstanding job. They're dedicated to training and they do a great job with regard to these high frequency events. Um, my concern is the low frequency, high risk events, the things that we don't do all day, day in and day out, that we don't get that on the job training, that, pres that present a significant risk to our personnel when you get that once in a career call. Um, one, of the, one of the items that I did is according to this community risk assessment is I called, I talked to our employees and found out, well, who relies upon us for some of these services? And I found out that Davis Dam lists us as their emergency response technical rescue team. Each and every time they put employees or contractors into a confined space, they actually make a phone call to our battalion chief's office and notify us that they're entering a confined space and they, you know, that we're their standby emergency response team. That happens frequently. The city, the Bullhead City Wastewater folks also enter confined spaces on a regular basis and they list us and rely upon us to be their emergency response team for confined space rescue. And there's others in general industry that might also pick up the phone and call us for that service. Trench rescue is another concern. When we speak about these confined space rescues and, and uh, being a team for employees from other, other areas of the city, what we're talking about is employees going underground into vessels and tanks, sewer lift stations, pipes, tunnels, etc. Um, areas that could be compromised, there may be toxic chemicals present, there may be a lack of oxygen present, there could be dangers such as electrocution, water, drowning, um, flammable situations, etc. In addition to those dangers, we always run the risk of having an employee slip or fall, be knocked unconscious, suffer from a heart attack, a stroke, a diabetic emergency, or simply pass out from the heat while they're working in these vessels, these confined spaces. And again, the, the public relies upon us to provide that rescue service, and we promise to do so in our operations plans. In addition, we always run the risk of kids playing in pipes and tunnels, lifting a manhole cover off and getting underground. It happens all the time. Um, not necessarily in this community, but somewhere across the country, and we are at risk of having those take place here. In addition, we have open trenches, usually associated with utilities and construction sites that often cave in on, on workers or kids that are playing in those as well. And so again, we promise the community that we will be the trench rescue team for the community. In addition to that SOP, we have two more that talk specifically about these issues. We have SOP 5.01, confined space operations. And it starts out by saying incidents which require fire department personnel to enter confined spaces to fight fires or to rescue and remove persons in need of assistance present very serious potential hazards. Under section 2B, operations shall be performed in accordance with OSHA, the Code of Federal Regulations 29, 1910-46. So right there in our policies, we are promising that we're going to follow the federal law in the way that we conduct operations. If you reference OSHA CFR 29-1910-46, there's very specific requirements for training. And I'm unfortunately here today to inform you that we have not been compliant with that training. And we are not being compliant with having the proper equipment to take care of those operations. So here's the disconnect. We have identified the risk, and we have a written plan and policy to respond to the risk, but we are not training and we are not equipping our personnel to respond according to our own plan. 
I raised this issues with these issues with the management team and identified the need to fix them two years ago when I first started working here. I was told that we don't get enough of those calls and we're not going to spend the money. If we get a call for a confined space rescue, our folks, our firefighters will jump in and do what firefighters always do. They'll take whatever actions necessary and they'll take care of business. The problem with that line of thinking and why it's unacceptable is because history has shown us that for every one citizen that dies in a confined space rescue, three firefighters lose their life in the line of duty attempting rescue with a lack of proper equipment and a lack of proper training. And that is why that line of thinking went out the window decades ago throughout the fire service. Confined space and trench rescue are highly regulated activities. There are very specific OSHA regulations designed to prevent unnecessary deaths. And I want to make note, fire departments are not required to provide technical response to confined space entry. We are not required to do trench rescue. But if we're not going to do it, then we need to be honest about that. We need to change our policies. We need to notify the public that we are not going to be there for them. At this moment, people are going underground, relying on our services right now, and we're not available for them. But we're not being honest about it. On the other hand, if we are going to promise the service, then we dang well better deliver. We need to train our people and equip them. So at this point, two years ago, I realized that really there's no way this department is going to be accredited because that's a failure criteria. The accreditation folks are not going to award us an award of accreditation because that's not excellent service, nowhere near. And at that point, I realized we had a bigger problem. By not training and equipping our people, we're violating our policies, violating the law, and endangering people as well. Along the line of thinking that we don't get enough of those calls, so we're not going to spend the money, there are lots of emergencies that we have to be prepared for that we don't respond to very often. For example, we don't get very many commercial airline crashes with lots of people injured, yet we still must be prepared to respond to those. In the month of October, we did a full-scale response exercise out there at the airport with all of our emergency responder folks up and down the river. Um, and we do that every three years because the FAA requires it. To my knowledge, we've never experienced an active shooter in this community with multiple casualties, and hopefully we never will. But if and when it happens, we dang well better be ready to respond to that. We have to have the people, the policies, the training, and the equipment. Likewise, earthquakes, floods, severe wind events, hazardous materials and incidents, and all of the other specialty response categories that we have in our, our policy don't happen a lot, but we have to be ready to respond to those and be prepared to those. Now, one of the interesting th things that I found out during my assessment, um, I learned that this department a decade ago actually went to the federal government and said we have such a need for technical rescue in our community that we need federal dollars, 750,000 federal dollars, to outfit and train a technical rescue team. And a decade ago, this department received $750,000 or thereabout dollars. And we purchased a heavy rescue vehicle, which is a great big fire truck looking vehicle without a pump, without hose, and without water. It's a big rolling toolbox, and it carries a full complement of rescue equipment that we purchased with grant dollars. And my understanding is we use grant dollars to start a tech rescue team and provide for all of the training. 
Unfortunately, it looks like once the federal dollars ran out and it became a local responsibility, a fire district responsibility, we chose not to fund it any further. I became so concerned about this issue and others that I approached the fire chief in August of 2016 and the assistant chief with a plan to reorganize the management structure of the department. I asked the chief to move me into the ops chief role so I could begin to address and work on these issues. Um, and I did so under one condition, that we resurrect our tech rescue team and we provide them with the training and the equipment they need. Again, I shared my concerns that our current approach is negligent, likely grossly negligent, and dangerous to our personnel and the public. We reached an agreement that I thought included a commitment to train and equip our personnel for tech rescue. That was August 2016. I became the ops chief on September 1st. By November, I had assembled a team of 17 personnel, including the training chief, ready to start the training process. Most of those folks had little or no training because the original folks that were trained under federal dollars had moved on because of our significant turnover. Um, I went to the, uh, um, I followed up on that issue um, and got ready to start that training like I spoke about and was denied. Dollars aren't available there. You're gonna have to go through the budgeting process and submit a budget request for the equipment and for the training. So that basically meant a whole nother year. We were gonna have to wait. And I did that in the spring, submitted the budget request, and I'll talk about that more going forward. In the spring of this year, 2017, I received a call from the safety officer at the Golden Vertex Mine. The mine, um, I was told, had a signed agreement with our department to provide emergency services. I went out to the mine and toured it, spoke with the safety officer out there, and basically asked him, what are your, your risks and what reasons might you pick up the phone and call Bullhead Fire? We talked about fires, hazardous materials, and the need for, it, and the need for a rope rescue team. Um, basically, I explained to the mine that, you know, we'll be out there as a fire response, but you're some distance away. We talked about their hydrants, their water supply, the fire code, et cetera. Um, we talked about hazardous materials incidents. They're going to store some hazardous materials, in, some, some materials out there, but they have the people who are trained to deal with that, and they felt it was feasible to give their employees that required OSHA hazmat response training and they could take care of that. On their end, we would only respond out there and basically rescue their personnel uh, as an operations level response if need be. So we came to terms on how we would handle um, hazardous materials incidents. What the mine felt was not feasible was for them to equip and train a rope rescue team. And they preferred and looked to the fire department to provide that response. Um, and the risk assessment is this. The mine is gonna dig a 400 foot deep pit, several hundred feet across and several hundred feet wide, and they're gonna run those very large mine trucks up and down all day, excavating that hole for years to come, 24 seven. And the risk then would be a vehicle accident, that one of those mine trucks would roll over in the pit, or that there would be a head-on collision, and we would have people injured at the bottom of this pit. And that is where they wanted us to provide service to be able to go in and set up the complex rope and rigging systems that you need to extricate a person and, and lift them up and out of uh, such an area. I shared with the representatives of the mine that our rope rescue team, what we, what we refer to as our technical rescue team, is in a rebuilding phase. And I explained that we needed to replace equipment and provide training. I asked if the mine would provide the funding to replace the equipment 
This issue was discussed internally amongst the fire department management team, and it was agreed upon that we would um, solicit those funds, take those funds, and provide those services. A senior officer of our department followed up with the mine and obtained a check for $15,000 to cover the equipment costs. So that was late spring, early summer of this year. At the end of the summer, I was told <clears throat> that the executives of the Goldenberg Tex mine were in town and wanted to come by the fire station, station one, and take a photo of the executives presenting the chief officers, officers of the department, the, uh, the check for 15000 I voiced my concerns at that time that we are not ready re to respond to the mine. We have not purchased the equipment and we have not trained our personnel. I was directed, well, don't say anything and hopefully they won't ask any questions. And then we went out to the apparatus bay and took a picture. We received the check standing in front of the fire engine. Again, that photo op took place in, during the summer. I made multiple requests in September and October for a training officer to start training our personnel. My requests were denied three times. It is now December and we still haven't provided any technical rescue training to our people and there is no training scheduled in the coming months. It has been two years since I first raised the issue. It's been 15 months since I took the office chief position on the condition that we would provide tech rescue training and we have made no progress. As the office chief, I cannot ensure the safety of the public and I cannot ensure the safety of our employees and that is one contributing reason for my resignation. In addition to concerns about technical rescue, there are multiple failures that we've experienced as a fire department in the two years that I've been here. We've had radio issues. We're in our third computer system in two years, our records management system, and it still doesn't work properly. We have mobile computers in the engines that don't connect. They lose connectivity. They can't talk to dispatch um, frequently. Um, Bullhead City fire engines are the only fire engines in our dispatch center that don't show up on the dispatch screen. Mojave Valley, Fort Mojave, their engines show up. Their GPS services work. Ours are the only ones that do not. Even though we spent funds on the modems to get the connectivity to make that happen, and, and in my understanding is we spent more money than those departments did, and we're not getting the connectivity and the reliability. And those are annoyances. But beyond that, we've had serious life safety issues. We've had several near-miss incidents, and by near-miss, I mean near-death experiences. We had a fire engine that caught fire while we were fighting a fire. We had a fire engine that had a catastrophic suspension failure where the wheels literally fell off the vehicle, dumped all the fuel in the road, going five miles an hour away from the station. Had that happened at highway speeds, it would have been a fatal event for our people and could have been a fatal event for the public. Something as simple as a tire blew out on a, on a fire on the way to Kingman. I responded out to the incident to see if our crews could continue on, and I was told by the tire technician that showed up, there is no way you should be running these tires in Bullhead City, not with the heat that you guys deal with. And he was referencing the cheapest, lowest quality tires available in the market. If that tire had blown driving down Highway 68, we could have rolled, cartwheeled down, and we could have taken a vehicle with us. Um, likewise, that's, that engine works out of Station 3. Had that tire blew, driving down McCormick, going code three lights and sirens, we could have ended up in someone's living room or taken out another vehicle with us. I 
I can't say that all of these situations could have been prevented, but I can say that we have a culture that is not focused on safety. We suffered two failures in the past year when our hose lines failed during firefighting operations. The hoses literally burst while we were fighting fire. Come to find out that the hoses in place were 35 years old. We had a plethora of three inch hose, our whole complement, or most of our complement was over 30 years old. So what is the best practice? What does excellence look like? What's the industry standard? The NFPA recommends 10 years and ours is three times that. Our practice and policy apparently <clears throat> is to replace the hose after it fails, after it bursts. And that may be during testing, which is great. Testing is done every year. If it bursts then, we take it offline, no problem. If it doesn't burst then, we put it back on the truck and risk having that hose burst while we're doing training, including live fire training when our people are inside a burning building or even worse, during an actual emergency firefighting operation, which is what's happened twice in the last year. Now, unbelievably, you know, we hired a third party um, testing company this last year. And in addition to the hose being failed for um, bursting, there's also industry standards. You can fail a hose just because looking at it, you can tell it's gonna fail. We had thousands of feet of hose failed visual inspection. A third party testing agency tested our hose and marked it down, recorded it as failing inspection. And that hose was put back on our fire trucks, thousands of feet. And when asked why that hose was put back on the trucks after it failed the visual inspection, our supply officer stated because we wouldn't have any hose in the trucks if we threw it away, referencing the failed hose. And I've been saying for years this hose needs to be replaced was his comment. There's a budgeting issue here. We have a lack of transparency in the way that we budget, in my opinion. The budget that is approved by the fire, approved by the fire board and made available to the public is not the budget that we live by and work by throughout the years. Unfortunately, in many years, there's a line item for hose and the money is not spent on hose. Our logistics supply officer is not allowed to spend money out of the hose budget without prior approval. There's only one senior officer who's allowed to approve and disapprove the request for hose, and that, a and that the person in the department that oversees the budget um, frequently says no. So I can't explain to you why the budget you vote on says that we're buying hose, but we're not buying hose in most instances. Now the person in this department that oversees the budget bragged to me early on that I'm the only person in this, in this department that has the copy of the real budget. Not even other chief officers know what the real budget is. We had another issue recently at station one where the apparatus bay door um, suffered a catastrophic collapse. The spring failed and the door crashed to the ground. Glass and metal parts shot into the at bay. The door was essentially a 500 pound guillotine slammed into the ground. It could have struck a vehicle, could have caused damage, it could have delayed our response to a call for service. It could have landed on a person and caused serious injury or death. Now a safety conscious organization would have conducted an investigation and identified the root cause. In this case, it appears to be a broken spring. How old is it? At what point do you replace the springs? What are the manufacturer recommendations? 
What preventative maintenance have we done on the door? What have we not done on the door? What should we do on the door? How do we prevent this from happening again? There are seven other doors at Station 1, the same age, that get the same heavy industrial use. We have doors just similar for other fire stations. Our response as a department is to call out a door company, get it fixed, and go about our way without a second thought. The concern there is that door could have killed somebody. Could have been one of our folks. It could have been a kid that was visiting our station for a station tour. Could have been a scout group. Could have been their parents. We don't react to serious safety concerns and accidents and near-death experiences. We don't budget for that. Again, to be fair, not every one of these accidents may have been preventable, but our culture needs to change. Again, as the operations chief, given all of these failures and a lack of concern for safety, um, I can't ensure the safety of the public or our people. Another one of the reasons, again, why I'm resigning. There have been ethical issues that have led to my resignation. In the spring of 2016, this department created an SOP committee. It was a process that I brought forward from my previous department that was designed to foster collaboration, transparency, and employee awareness. So we put together an SOP committee that, that meets monthly or as needed. All employees are invited to, pretend, uh, um, to participate, attend and participate. Um, anybody can make a suggestion to change a standard operating procedure. Anybody can have input, and whatever we draft out of that committee, we, we send it out through email for 30 days for people to comment on. We get it back, and we polish it up before we go live. And once we get a change of an SOP, whether we add it, delete it, or change it, um, I, I work directly with the fire chief, and then we change it on the hard drive, on the computer system, and then we email all the employees and notify them that this has taken place. With that said, I had an issue this summer where a senior fire officer circumvented that process and secretly deleted a policy and procedure document. The issue I had with that is that document I was actually working under as I was conducting multiple investigations for inappropriate behavior, discipline investigations. I was relying upon that document in my investigative reports that were just about complete. And the fact that that document was deleted and I say secretly because I was never notified of that and none of the employees of the department were ever notified that that document was deleted. Seriously hindered the work that I was doing. It caused me to have to rewrite my reports. And what's of even more concern is when I addressed, when I went to the IT folks and found out who had the authorization to delete that policy, it was a very short list. Um, and I was able to talk to those people and narrow down and figure out who that person was. And in a meeting, when I questioned the officers there and I said, does anybody here, has anybody here modified any SOPs lately? The answer was no. And I said specifically, has anybody deleted or added any of our SOP documents lately? The answer was no. And then I held it up and said, well, this one's been deleted. And then it was, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I did delete that one. Um, but that was a while ago. Well, regardless of the timing, it circumvented our process, and there is no reason why a policy document 
and procedure documents should ever be deleted without notifying the employees. I am responsible as the ops chief to make sure our people follow those documents. I can't do that if they're being secretly deleted. I can't do my job and do investigations and hold people accountable for those policies when they're being secretly deleted. One of the other issues that I was brought in here to focus on is succession planning and getting the next generation of officers ready to move up and achieve officer positions. Um, what I have found here is uh, a lack of folks available to do that. We don't have very many qualified candidates ready to move up. Why is that? Because for years this department has been a training department. We have hired people and they've gotten training and left to go to other, other departments. Um, you know, there are multiple reasons why this would happen. Some people would rather live in a bigger city. Um, some people want to go somewhere else because they pay more money. Um, but in my opinion, there's a significant loss that we suffer of talent because of the toxic culture that exists within our department. We have a toxic culture. There is a, um, there's a rift that exists between the 40-hour folks and the 56-hour folks, between management and labor. The command team, the chief and the battalion chiefs have been at odds with each other for years. Uh, the safety issues that I reference. I've witnessed employees being yelled at and cussed at for making legitimate suggestions to improve the department. One, you know, one of the reasons I was hired was to help prepare the future generation. We have a current opening for battalion chief, training chief, and EMS chief, and now whatever you're going to do with my position. Uh, most of the employees that you would expect to move into those positions, the 10 to 20 year tenured employees, have left the department. They are taking on leadership positions in departments throughout the West. I know there were five of them working in my previous department that were doing a pretty dang good job. I reason to believe that number is going to increase in the near future. Some of our internal candidates that would be eligible simply don't want to promote to a management position because of the internal cultural challenges. So in summary, uh, the reasons why I'm leaving, we're taking unnecessary, we are taking unnecessary risks by not properly training and equipping our people. We have an unsafe culture that allows too many accidents to occur. And again, I'll reference if you wait for the hoses to burst and you take that mindset, you apply that across the organization, it gives you a pretty good idea of our lack of attention to safety. I've got trust issues. There's a lack of transparency in budgeting and a lack of transparency in our policies and procedures being secretly deleted. And there is what I perceive to be a toxic culture. Employees not being treated the way that you should treat your employees, which adversely impacts our recruitment and our retainment of employees. And again, I want to make it clear that our folks, the men and women in blue, do an outstanding job with what they have to work with. Their day-to-day -day bread and butter operations Responding to building fires, medical calls, vehicle accidents, they do an outstanding job under very difficult circumstances. Dealing with extreme heat, fierce winds, and short staffing. They work very hard, and I'll, I'd like to say it, that I appreciate the work that you do. Um, you do an outstanding job. I'm going to miss working alongside uh, all of you, but I have come to the end of my rope at Pullhead Fire. And it's time for me to voice my appreciation 
my frustrations and take my dignity and step away from this department. And again, to the fire board, you are the mayor and council of this district. There is no city manager, city attorney, HR director, or finance director to provide oversight. When I was the fire chief I, in, in a municipal government, if I wanted to change processes, I had to get the approval of all of those folks. If my employees had concerns, they could go to any and all of those folks. There was a lot of oversight. And I'm not advocating that this fire district merge with any city government or become a municipal department. Um, but what I'm asking uh, is that the fire board please be aware of these issues and do what you can to correct them. Um, I'm available to you uh, now and in the future at any time. If you would like to discuss these issues any further, I'd be happy to do so. Um, if you would like to follow up an executive session and talk about specific examples, I'd be happy to give you more. Um, whatever I can do for you, I'm available for you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, fire prevention report. Disturbing. It, disturbing is the first thing that comes to mind when after after I hear and I've, I've listened to this multiple times and and Frank honestly every time I hear it, I get a little bit more angry, especially when you put it all together and remember that uh, we just voted in a sixteen million dollar bond issue or bond for for the fire department you know what bothers me about that go right ahead 16 million dollars for things that were really important to that department mm -hmm. and yet not one penny of it was earmarked for the things this assistant chief is talking about i yeah why is that <laughs> i i don't know I don't know, and we got to go to a break real quick. Get back with your phone calls, 855-586-9134. We're going to leave with maybe an appropriate song. Little Molly Hatchet, Flirting with Disaster. <laughs> we'll be back right after these messages. KTOX 1340 AM, Needles. little as $25 a week. For more information, email us at info at ktox1340.com. That's info at ktox1340.com. Info at ktox1340.com. KTOX. KTOX. The Tri-State's Talk Leader. Keyboard Cat. Hamilton the Pug and Toast Meets World. These are some of the Internet's most beloved pets, with millions of YouTube views, shares, And welcome back. It is the Rob Hansen Radio Program right here on the Tri-State's Undisputed Talk Leader. That would be KTOX 1340 AM, and now with FM 104.1. Number to call in, 855-586-9134. We're talking right now about the Bullhead City Fire Department and or district or whatever it is uh, that they claim to, claim to be up there. You know, Frank... <laughs> I've got questions. I don't know if you even have answers for it. But, uh, you know, 
if half of what this man is saying is true, we've got serious problems in Bullhead City as far as the fire department goes. Ethical, moral, equipment, safety. Well, the thing that struck me is he said he was instructed not to use anybody's name or title. Well, of course, that that becomes a policy issue, but, you know... mm. Yeah, but... What that's telling me is somebody was aware that he was going to do this prior to it happening. Oh, I'm sure he was upright and honest saying, I'm, I'm, I'm telling all and I'm naming names. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> well, let's take the call. Let's take the call. KTOX, you are on the air. Hi, this is Kenny. <clears throat> Frank, I was just wondering, it seems like uh, there's a lot of rescue work that the fire department does that doesn't really have that much to do with fire wouldn't wouldn't there be a need for a, just a reg, a rescue type operation i know we have a search and rescue uh, that's all volunteers and such but uh it seems like there should also be just a strictly a rescue type uh personnel that that would just go out and do rescues uh like people falling in the pit and uh, crashing in the pit and that sort of thing but uh it seems like uh, they're we're kind of expanding the scope of the fire department to the point that uh, we're expecting them to to do a lot of different things that don't really relate that much to 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 the other things that they're doing. It seems like fire should be the most important thing that they worry about. Okay, and I you know I'm not Frank, but I think I'm going to answer that question. Frank can can step on my uh, toes and. And you I tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> but uh, traditionally, the fire department has been fire rescue. Am I, am I, cor- am I wrong in that, Frank? No, or is in it- fact, at the airport, it's called CFR, Crash Fire Rescue. So who else are you going to call? Yeah, really. Now, uh, uh, my cat's uh, up the tree. I'm, I, am I going to call in the uh, special rescue squad from the sheriff's department? They ain't coming. They ain't coming. The fire department will. <laughs> call the tree surgeon. You can call the tree surgeon. <laughs> no, but, you know, I understand your, your reasoning here. Let me tell you that I came from a department, Vernon, California, which is the heavy industrial area, manufacturing area of Los Angeles. And we were the first fire department in the country to do hazmat. Other departments wouldn't touch it. And we were criticized from all over the country for doing this. And now it's the life's blood of of many departments. But then you go to New York City, and the police department does this work. Did you know that? I did not. Yes. It's not the fire department in New York that you call when you have a steam line blow up under the street. You, call the, you cops, call the police huh? department. They have special response teams trained in all these special areas that this fire chief or fire assistant chief was outlining in his uh, speech. Hmm. Okay. Any and, anything and else, Kenny? Were, yeah, there were two more things. Uh, does the airport have their own fire engines that respond to, to uh, crashes on the runway or fires out there at the airport? That are you, do they really have time to wait for? Uh, Every response from the fire department? If the airport is certified by the FAA, which Laughlin Bullhead International is, they have to have crash fire rescue available with a response to the center of the furthest most runway within X number of seconds. 
Okay, in order to do that, you have to have the equipment on the state on the airport. Now at Bullhead International, the firefighters are also the security guys checking the perimeter. They're the guys that are fueling aircraft, so they do it. You know, they're multitaskers. But uh, when I worked for Ontario International, which was owned by Los Angeles International, we were what they called uh, public air, airport safety officers. I prim- primarily, we were the crash fire rescue on a 24-hour shift. We spent eight hours on police patrol, on police-related issues on the airport, hired specifically for that. We didn't respond off the airport unless it was a- aviation-related. Uh, and our equipment was paid for by the FAA 95 or 85%, which it is also up here at Bullhead International. That big fire rescue truck up there that's cost almost a million bucks, the uh, FAA paid for 850000 roughly, of that. And uh, one more thing, the cost of the equipment, new hoses and uh, breathing apparatuses and such things, uh, it seems to be awfully expensive. I was just wondering if we're losing something on the economy of scale when it comes to producing this kind of stuff. Maybe... Uh, Maybe dating the hoses. They can only use the hoses for a year or two or whatever. Ten years. No, ten, 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 year, ten years is a standard. Ten years is the recommendation, but like he said, they were 35-year-old hoses. Some of this fire hose hasn't been off a fire truck except for testing in ten years. The stuff towards the bottom. Do, do you know how uh, how often they take it out and uh, to inspect it and leak test it and such? It's, it's required by NFPA hand... Uh, handbooks that it be done annually a, a static test pressure of 250 pounds per square inch given over x number of minutes on under pressure and it also requires a physical inspection where you look at it and you check the fittings you check the couplings to make sure that the threads aren't damaged so uh, it, it's an involved thing but it the hose comes off every year at least once for testing. All right, Kenny. We got we got to go to the top of the hour. Thanks for your call. Wow. Tell me what, Frank. We got more to talk about at uh, second hour. And, of course, uh, Oatman, you're high on our list. We've got lots to talk about there, too, especially the, the fire department out in Oatman. Well, they had an open house or a meet and greet last night. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll be back. It is the Rob Hansen Radio Program right here on the Tri-State's Undisputed Talk Leader, KTUX 1340 AM and 104.1 FM. Back after these uh, top-of-the-hour news and local messages. Mm-hmm. KTUX Needles. KTOX and K281CR needles. Since you are just turning on your radio. Hour number two starting right now here at KTOX 1340 AM. Now with FM 104.1. Number, if you want to join in, is 855-586-9134. Let's get this thing a-rolling, shall we, Frank? Let's do it. It's the Rob Hansen Radio Program with Radio Rob right here on KTOX 1340, now with FM. 
And welcome back. It is the Rob Hansen Radio Program. I am Radio Rob Hansen, and, you know, I'm so glad to have you all here today. Of course, uh, give us a call, 855-586-9134. Talking about uh, what's going on up there in the Bullhead uh, Fire District. You know, it just, it, it, it really just rocks my, uh, I, I want to scream. I want to yell profanities. I, I just I, I really would like to you know march into a uh, a fire board meeting and go just what in the blankety blank 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 <laughs> hell do you think you're doing? I did go to one of those fire board meetings. Oh, well, Lord. actually two up there in Bullhead City. Uh huh. And uh, I don't want to mention any names, but somebody went into shell shock, shell shock when I walked in. There. <laughs> <laughs> they met me at the door. What are you doing here? Well, isn't this a public meeting? Yeah, but what are you doing here? I just want to see Fireboard in action. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, (laughs) it was very interesting and very well done. But before the end of the meeting, I was called out by the chairman of the Fireboard asking me if I had anything to contribute. And I did. And I kind of got a standing ovation from the firefighters in the room. But <laughs> anyway, but uh, it was fun. Here's the thing, Frank. Okay, and this this just really really irritates me. Okay, I've I've got a whole list of notes here. You saw me scribbling down, you know, just from top to bottom. Uh, withheld names. Can't mention names. Well, if he's the assistant chief, there's only one guy above him. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> Take that one to, probably to the bank. And, you know, I asked you this question while this was playing. The accreditation program, is it necessary, is it, or is it just, and you said it was well just for bragging rights? Or? Basically, that's it. But what what the, there was a time when, especially in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, back when I first got on Flagstaff Fire Department after coming from uh, Southern California, they had issues because every department was running its own little program. There was no standardization. Not even the threads on the fire hose matched their neighboring cities. So mutual aid was difficult because it needed special equipment to couple the hoses together because they had totally different kind of threads. There were no standards. So I was uh, elected secretary treasurer of the Professional Firefighters of Arizona. And I went to the Arizona legislature, the Public Safety Committee, uh-huh. which was headed up at that time by Sandra Day O'Connor, who later went left there and went to the Supreme Court as a Supreme Court justice. And I went down there almost weekly to testify before that commission about issues relating to fire service in Arizona that I discovered. And my point of the whole thing is they were considering setting up the Office of State Fire Marshal, and Arizona was the only state in the Union that didn't have one. And I was told by the those in the political circles, this isn't the year to try to do that. Well, when is the year to try well, to do again, that? Well, I didn't give up. I kept going week after week after week after week. And guess what? They brought it to the state legislature, and it was passed. Started the state fire marshal here, which started standardizing... Uh, 
procedures and equipment and all these certifications that we're talking about here. That's how it all started, at least in Arizona. Well, when when you're talking about uh, accreditation, okay, I I think when I, when I think of accreditation, I think of colleges, I think of uh, of other other things like universities, colleges, educational institutions. You know, being in an accredited college, okay, your your knowledge is basically the same that's being taught over X amount of, yeah. of college uh, universities or at the same or level. Higher, at the same level. However, okay. yeah. there's two different things we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about certifications, right? Which means you're a certified certified to be a structure firefighter, right? You're certified for underwater or for water rescue. Mm-hmm. You're certified for trench rescue. You're certified for crash fire rescue. You're certified to be a paramedic. All these certifications are standards that are set by each state. The accreditation thing is something separate. Okay? Okay. And where it helps you as a firefighter, if you're an accredited firefighter, to a level of a standard set up by some organization in the United States, then when you go for promotions in other cities in other states you can say hey i'm accredited at this level on your resume okay okay that's what it's really for no, but, but it's I, like I, when i, I, work lo- for I look a, i look at that and say okay th- uh, the accreditation is a basic set of standards okay you're accredited to a certain level you're accredited you 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 can perform these particular duties or you can teach these particular things you've got whatever the, the accredit- whatever it is and that becomes even more critical because you are you're able to do the job. I know it, but the state standards for certification do the same thing. Okay, okay. It's like Kingman Fire Department last week received its Class One certification. Bear in mind, there's only 250 Class One fire departments out of 35,000 fire departments in the country. That's quite an accomplishment for the city of Kingman. Because there's levels of training, there's levels of equipment, there's levels of communication, there's uh, six or seven basic levels. Also, it it includes the uh, availability of water uh, supply to the firefighters, no matter where they're at in the city, mm-hmm. which you know brings in hydrants, 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 <laughs> hydrants. You know, those pesky things out there that you bump into with your car door? Or bumpers. Yeah. And the amount of water supply based on water testing of every hydrant every year, and they and they gauge the flow. Not only does it work, it puts out X number of gallons per minute. All these things are taken in. So that's quite an accomplishment for the city of Kingman to do that. When we have areas right here in, in Bullhead City... Where, you know, fire hydrants are scarce. Let's go to the phones. KTUX, you are on the air. I, uh, I was just wondering, the, the assistant chief also mentioned uh, difficulties in retaining the certified personnel. Mm-hmm. I know the sheriff's department had that same problem, or still does. And uh, I was just wondering if maybe it's possible to... Uh, when they get a certification, have them sign a thing that they're going to be stay, sticking around for a while. Uh, you know, determine a, a time for them to stay around, and uh, 
and then enforce it. Uh, I was wondering what you might think about that. I'll listen off the air. All right. Thank you. Well, basically, the certifications, it, it depends how you got certified. Did the department pay to get you certified? Did they pay you for the training while you were getting certified? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like going to a sheriff's academy. Uh, in Arizona, they average about 18 weeks. But certain people go through in nine weeks if they've been in a, a military policeman, which I don't see why that would be. But then you have <laughs> We're others. not going to react to that argument. No, but <laughs> then you go to the CHP in California, mm-hmm. and they go six months and two weeks. And that doesn't count on-the-job training. That's so how do you adequately time, you know. train somebody in 18 weeks? But the point of it is, somebody pays for that training. Either an individual pays to, for that training and then seeks the job on some law enforcement agency, or he gets hired on a law enforcement agency and receives the training at their expense. And a lot of departments, because of the expense of training people, make you sign a contract. If we pay for your training, which you get accredited for... Mm-hmm. Then you owe us three. You have to work here for three years or four years or whatever the contract is. The same thing in the fire department. I don't know what the current number of hours for certification just to start off are. I believe it's 580 hours of training before you're certified to even go to a fire. I'm not sure, but that's the numbers we're talking about. When you figure a 40-hour work week for a year. It's 2,080 hours. We're talking about a quarter of a year's time put into training. Hmm. So who's paying for that? You. Oh. I mean, the city paying for it? The fire department paying for it? Right. Are you paying for it? Or a combination of both? So uh, the retention issue is with every fire and police department in the country. Well, And, the, and it's not always and related with, to with, pay. Right. Well, when, when I... When I heard that okay that was at the end of his of his uh, spiel there you know turnover is an issue with uh with any kind of safety or medical or you know anything you've got you've got high turnover uh bullhead city police experiences high turnover why because they don't pay a lot or well, it's a lot of things. It's not just they, the pay. They go, they go to jail for t- chasing students. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, conditions are, you know, it's not fun being a cop 24 hours, you know, in a city, you know, in a community where you're riding around in, a, in woolly uniforms at 130 degrees. This I mean, it's uncomfortable. Why do that when you go to somewhere else, a beach community, where the weather's fine year-round? And the sites get better in the summer. I mean, there's a lot of reasons people leave and a lot of reasons. But training new people for any agency is difficult and expensive. And and retention is always a problem. You can't, you can't lay all that retention issue on the chief's doorstep. Now, one of the things that I've I've heard you mention over and over and over again, especially uh, you know working with you over the years, is uh, you know fire departments must train for and plan for the what if. It's called pre-fire planning, right? 
But it's it's just basically what if the you know you sit down in a think tank and go, and think up what if scenarios. Yeah, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens and you thought this was going to be the result and it didn't? This happen. So you pre-fire plan all the time. You know, a lot of people think, well, the fireman's on duty twenty-four hours or whatever the current number of hours is. They're working in a local district here, mm-hmm. but you're not sitting on your ass watching TV all day. Usually about eight hours of that 24-hour period is spent on some kind of training, whether it's a familiarization tour of your first-end district, what the targets are, you know, the target hazards that you're going to respond to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You go to every business, you tour them, you outline what everything about it. Where's the, the uh, gas shutoff? Where's the electrical shutoff? Uh, all, all the... Uh, Things that might be in there that could be a hazard to the public or in case of a fire emergency, what are the uh, chemical hazards in here or the smoke hazards or the poison hazards? Like when I hired into Vernon Fire Department, Mm -hmm. they hired 10 of us in to replace four or 10 guys who were taken out at a fire, not by death, but they had a fire in a chemical lab at a chemical company. And when they went in there, the sprinklers had went off to put the fire out and mixed all these chemicals together and created unknown chemicals that were inhaled by the firefighters going in there, which uh, killed their lungs. A lot of them lost at least one lung. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, you know, they were forced into retirement. So uh, people wonder why are they so up? You know, back when I hired in, they used to send me into the blackest, darkest, smokiest pyres just to test you. <laughs> now they go to jail if they did that. Yeah, yeah. And if you couldn't handle it, you didn't get the job. Now you don't go near that without breathing apparatus. Right. So, you know, there's been a lot of changes over the years. Well, I'm sure there has in some for the some of for the better. But I'm I I I also remember hear, hearing him talk about and I just, it just, the, the thought just evaporated out of my mind. But, you know, just so many, so many different things, um, especially when dealing with Golden Vertex. I listened to that and my mind wanted to go boom. Well, but, you know, here's the thing, you know, they, 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 they went to Golden Bird, Texas. Okay, we need we need you to contribute money so we can buy equipment and schedule training for rope rescue. Golden Bird, Texas wrote a check for fifteen thousand dollars. Fifteen thousand dollars. Where'd that money go? Well, he says it didn't go to what it was intended to go to. Where'd the money go? I, I don't know. And this, I'm, I, sure. I'm, I'm not. I'm not generally asking you that question, Frank. But where did the money go? Uh, where? Okay, fire uh, fire hose. Let's go to the fire hose issue. Okay, he said uh, they're budgeted every year to replace fire hose. They're not allowed to buy fire hose. Yeah, uh, that's surprising. I mean, you should be replacing at least ten percent a year. That way, every ten years, you've turned over all your hose. Doesn't mean you throw any good hose away, but at least you've got, you know, durable new hose. You know, and fire hose gets upgraded. 
the manufacturer of it. Right. Because the fire hose has three parts. It has an inner liner, which is made of some sort of rubber. Mm-hmm. And then you have a pressure jacket, which is used to be made out of cotton. It's and now, it, now made out of Kevlar and... and yeah, uh, it's stronger material. things that don't mold and, and are resistant to chemical. And then you have an outer scuff jacket, which protects those inner jackets. So uh, fire hose has always been expensive. Comes usually in fifty foot rolls, coupled with brass fittings at the end. Uh, seven and a half inch threads per uh, in, or seven and a half threads per inch. What they call a V cut Higby cut. Okay, that's the standard in the fire service. Right. Okay, all those have to be inspected, and because it's such a, it's not a hose that you know industry uses. Because of the special threads. And the reason it has those special threads is so that in a, they can be coupled quickly. You don't need tools to do it. Sometimes you need the tool to take it apart because of the pressures. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there's a reason for everything in the fire service. It's not just some guy, oh, let's just do it this way. It doesn't work that way. It's all developed out of testing and years and years of usage. But fire hose, you might be talking... Uh, four or five hundred dollars a section of fifty feet. One piece of hose. So you know that's why you don't run over fire hose at a fire, unless you're directed to by a firefighter. Mm-hmm. They have what they call hose bridges that they can put a charged line. That's one under pressure, in so that you can roll over it without creating damage. But it's a no-no to ever run over a flat fire hose. Right, when it has you, no pressure, because yeah. that'll crack it. Makes common sense. And it's sense a big fine if you get caught doing that. I'm sure it is, but you know it, that that disturbs me. But fire trucks, fire equipment is very expensive mm-hmm. because it's all custom made, for the most part. I mean, there's some stuff you can buy off the line, but it doesn't. The NFPA, National Fire Protection Association, has standards. And they're called pamphlets. And there's a pamphlet on almost everything. What a, what a ladder truck is, what a pumper is, what a hose carrier is, what a uh, hazmat unit has on it, how it's developed, the speed, the, the braking ability, the ability to take corners at certain speeds. There's all kinds of things. And it's even more ridiculous at the airport. I have no doubt about it. You know, I, I have a feeling, Frank, that we could spend days talking about this and not even scratch a tenth of what he talked about, honestly. That's right. He, you know, he was a good speaker. You have to give him credit oh, for I'll that. Oh, I'll give him credit for that, for sure. Certainly sparked my imagination and just basically brightened the hell out of me. I, I, I still I'm have concerned. Full, full faith in the... The guys in blue up there. Oh, bullhead. same here. Same here. You call them for a fire or any emergency, they're going to give their best. It is the Rob Hansen Radio Program right here on the Tri-State's Undisputed Talk Leader. That would be KTUX 1340 AM, now with FM 104.1. We'll be back right after these local messages. Have you got the time? Or 
portion of the Rob Hansen radio program could be brought to you by you for as little as $25 a week. For more information, email us at info at ktox1340.com. That's info at ktox1340.com. Info at ktox1340.com. KTOX. KTOX. The Tri-State's Talk Leader. Frank's favorite song. And you keep well, losing when you ought not bet. You keep saying when you ought to be a changing. Now what's right And welcome back. And you know the, the the final thing I really want to say about this and well I have a couple of final things I want to say about it, but uh, another another really disturbing thing and we've talked about this before and we've we've had former firefighters call in to our programs and active firefighters call into our programs and uh, and ask about this let's go to the phones real quick k2x you're on the air hey one more question about fire hose i was just wondering what to do with the old stuff and if, if uh, they're giving away 10 percent a year does it just not just throwing in the trashes it seems like somebody could use it for something yeah they listen off the air yeah it goes to uh normally in most departments they sell it off as surplus a lot of contractors buy it you know like for their water trucks and stuff Mm -hmm. where pressure isn't an issue okay well okay great thank you now one of the and here i think here's the most two of the most disturbing things in, in what he said, there's the public budget that the board approves, and then there's the secret budget that the chief holds. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> but I, but this isn't the first time I've heard this. This is not the first time I've heard this, and this is not the first time that uh, you know we've talked about it at the station. And it's been a you know a dirty little public secret. And this is this is uh, this is what where I have a problem with uh, with the state not willing to do a forensic audit unless a board member requests it or the governing body requests it. Yes, that's a flaw in the system here in, in for Arizona Fire Department. Well, it's a it, it seems to me to be a flaw in the system everywhere. Or in Arizona, because yeah. it, not just fire departments, we're talking cities as well. Um, if a forensic audit had been accomplished in Kingman, you think they would have been able to uh, embezzle a million dollars? That wasn't the fire department. That was no, the city. No, that was the city. No, it wouldn't. It would have been discovered probably six years prior. Or a forensic audit of uh, the uh, little school district out here in uh golden shores golden shores do you honestly think that she would have been able to embezzle a quarter of a million dollars no nearly put the school district out of business but no in, in arizona there's been more uh issues about where the money went mm-hmm. than anywhere i've ever been 
You don't have to worry, you know, and it's not firefighters that are taking the money. Oh, no, 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 okay? no. It's, I don't want to say the staff, but the money disappears. The auditors, in many cases, are involved in it or are given false figures to work with so everything looks good at the end of the internal audit that they do themselves. But it turned out up in Sholo, Arizona, mm-hmm. I mean, there's two or three people went to prison over that one because the auditor happened to be a relative of the former chief. And she's the one that was putting the money away. <laughs> and we've had issues like that. But as right close now, as uh, you know, and, and this has nothing to do with the present fire people in Oatman. Over the years, over a million dollars has disappeared from money that was paid to that department for wildland firefighting in other states and other counties Mm -hmm. by the state and federal government. Nobody knows where that money went. And prior to the last chief that was there, he was looking into a $50,000 shortage. That still exists there. Yeah. It's an ethical issue. It's an honesty issue. It's it's a flaw in the way the system is set up for fire districts. I mean, who ever heard of a city like Bullhead where you have a fire department that's not part of the city? Where did you ever hear of that before? Or the county or whatever. No, I I've, I've never heard of uh, heard of a any kind of department that wasn't actually governed by the city or the county. Elected officials, uh, yeah. city or county. Yeah. Arizona is kind of unique that way. Yeah. Unique, I remember yeah. when, I, when I was with Vernon, I get a call. I was in the dispatch office, and we get a call from a, an industry uh, there in, in the city. And he says, we have a small fire. Send a small fire truck. Well, our st- <laughs> hey, we send for the potential of the business. Right. Which meant... Station one and three response, and and you get six rigs coming out of station one and two coming out of three. So you get eight trucks. This guy hears all these sirens, runs out in the street by the business, and he's waving them off. I don't need you guys. I just need one truck. Like they're going to listen to that. <laughs> and so the captain says, what's with this deal? You're not paying any more for more than one. He said, I'm sorry, I come from Arizona. We pay by the truck. Because he was in an area where rural metro was, uh-huh. where they pay for the response. Uh, pay by the truck. <laughs> <laughs> pay by the gallon of water used. I don't know. But it, it's just, I really wish, and I'm going to say this again, any fire board member, Bullhead City fire board member, Chief Southie, any any of your surviving, you know, somebody's here? <laughs> Maybe they're knocking on the door? Come on in. <laughs> Some, somebody's here, obviously. Huh. Anyway, <laughs> Frank, close the door. <laughs> anyway, we got, uh, uh, 
I, I, it just compounds me. It really does. Anyway, we're going to go to a quick commercial break while I figure out what's going on out here. And uh, we'll be back right after these local messages. This portion of the Rob Hansen radio program could be brought to you by you for as little as $25 a week. For more information, email us at info at ktox1340.com. That's info at ktox1340.com. Info at ktox1340.com. KTOX. KTOX. The Tri-State's Talk Leader. And welcome back. It is the Rob Hansen Radio Program, broadcasting live from Route 66, or at least just right, right, well, beside it. <laughs> Be kind of tra- hazardous to our health if we were broadcasting in the middle of Route 66. What did you say when I went to the door? Close the door. <laughs> no, on the air. Somebody's on the air, or somebody's at the door. Oh, because my daughter was listening to the show, Uh-huh. and she called to make sure that I was safe. Okay, well, he's safe. We're fine. No, we're, we're not. We're, we're not worried about a bunch of firefighters coming down here. <laughs> Actually, I I want them to come down here. I, I want I want to talk to them. I I want to uh, I want to hear from them. I want to hear if uh, you know what what he said. I want I want other independent corroboration. Now the uh, the two budget thing. <sighs> The two budget thing that yeah. you know we we've heard about that before, we've we've talked about it before. Yeah, you know, and it just just makes me just makes me wonder what what whatever happened to the advertisements on the back of the apparatus. Well, Rob, as you know, we had a heck of a fire last night on Highway 95 just south of Safeway, where you can get great deals on your groceries every time you use your Safeway preferred customer card. We had to roll out two units from two different station houses to get a handle on this massive fire. The responding units came from the Frontier Communications Firehouse Number 1, where if you don't have a Frontier phone, how are you going to call us for help next time your house is on fire? Oh, and the Bullhead Regional Economic Development Association Firehouse 2, bringing business to the greater Bullhead City area First to arrive on the scene was the Home Depot ladder truck, where if you're in a great need for a tall ladder, Home Depot is the place to be. And we started laying down that 4-inch Ace Hardware fire hose, where Ace is the place with the helpful hardware man. We hooked up the Walmart hose nozzles, where you get everyday rollback prices, and started pumping massive amounts of Epcor water. Without us, we'd be thirsty and dry. And started to get a handle on things. The fire is still under investigation by our Taco Bell fire investigation team. Run for the border, Rob. Sorry. Sorry, Frank. That never gets old. <laughs> I enjoy that. That, was great. that never gets old. I mean, it's it's a little dated now because the uh, Bullhead City Economic Development Board is now defunct. But, you know, what the heck? <laughs> oh, the late Dave Hayes helped me with that. And... <laughs> that was funny. Oh, that was great. That was absolutely great. Anyway, you know, there's so much to say. But I'm going to I'm going to end it with this. The boots on the ground, the guys working 40 hour, 40 hours a week or more. 
the firefighters, the, yeah. the ones that actually show up at a fire, will rush into danger and rescue your butt. This ain't about you. You guys do a great job, and I will always have the utmost respect for you. <clears throat> Look at it this way. But your management, <laughs> we've, got, we've got issues there. I mean, all firemen have heard this. You got to be crazy when everybody's running out of a building on fire and you run in. <laughs> I've done it many times. Well, you know, I. Oh, and the other thing we used to use, well, we're taking a calculated risk. Mm-hmm. And then one day somebody says, well, how did you calculate that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we pulled up and the place was on fire and heard people screaming. That's our calculation. calculation. There you go. Well, how, what makes you think you're going to survive? Well, I signed on to do everything I can and risk whatever I've got to help save those or their animals. And I did it as much as I could. Many, many times. And I, you know, I feel grateful that I had that opportunity. And you'd probably do it again. Of course I would. I don't know if I'd make it back out anymore. Well, you know, but I would it, try. Uh, it, it comes down to uh, human nature. You know, there there are those who uh, who will rush to the sound of gunfire, and then there are those who will run Done away. Done that from too. It. And I uh, have the unique background of being both a cop and a firefighter. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm I'm talking about any emergency situation. Yeah. Uh, I I will not hesitate to stop and help a help a person in mortal danger. Never, 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 never hesitate. I will rush in where angels fear to tread. Do I get to do that very often? No, thank God. So you go into church a lot? (laughs) (laughs) That was awful, Frank. (laughs) That's Frank Costigan in care of KTOX. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) the boots on the ground, they're the heroes. The folks that sit behind the desks and write the checks and do the budget. They're the hero on payday. They're they're the, <laughs> to the firefighters. We got issues. You do? We got well, issues. And I we, have we issues need, with this. We need this. to straighten, straighten those out. Go ahead. Why do they need so much at the top end of the department of that size? I came from a department of 130 people, mm-hmm. specialized firefighting. In heavy industrial area. We had a chief, an assistant chief, and then on each shift there was a battalion chief. We had one clerk uh, typist that worked a 40-hour week, and we had an administrative captain that made sure everything got done. He'd per- do the purchasing. He'd, uh, and we had a training officer and all that, too. But That was usually the guy that was missing. But we didn't have these people eye. sitting around in the station. Everybody was responding to fires or emergencies mm-hmm. because we didn't have the overhead. We don't have a division chief and a operations chief and this kind of chief and that kind of, We didn't. Why? What do you need that for? Bill collectors. They have bill collectors in Bullhead City. Fire. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't get a, it either. I don't get it either. And, you know, we're... 
But anyway, my final word is Bullhead City Fire Department, boys and boys and girls, we love you. Yes. It's the it's your and, upper and we're finish. waiting eagerly for a response to what this assistant chief said on his way out the door. You know, and here's here's the here's the reality and here's the nuts and bolts of it, Frank. We're not going to. We're not going to hear a response from it. Well, somebody needs to respond to it. If the chief can't, then the board of directors needs to. They need to hold a meeting, a public uh, a town hall, let's say, mm-hmm. and discuss what was said. And what is your answer to this? What is your response to this? Well, the only, the only way that's going to happen is if, if the public, if the citizens of Bullhead City, and that includes myself, and I'm saying it right now, demand something like that, and I demand it. And... Folks, you need to. And where's the letters to to the editor from the concerned citizens? Really? You just. I mean, I can't do it all. You you, you just voted in $16 million. $16 million. Okay, this is an unfunded liability, by the way. Yeah. I bet you that when this came out in the paper, Mm -hmm. that some people that voted yes on that were having second thoughts. When this came out in the paper and, and you and I talked about it? The first thing we thought about was, whoa, we just had a tax issue. Yeah. A tax bond. Had this information come out prior to the election of November 7th, do you think that bond issue would have passed or not? I don't think it would have passed at all. I think a lot of people would have been down there asking questions. And I, I have a feeling that his resignation came after, uh, came, or came after this. Just for that reason, so that bond issue would pass. I'll bet you they. I, and I'm, I'm, I know it's kind of Machiavellian of me to, to consider this, but I, I have a feeling he was asked to hold off until after the special election. Well, if that's true, then he loses some credibility as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm. How many times? And I hate to say this: how many times the whistleblowers uh, turned out to be full of. Full of crap. Yeah. Well, he did make it clear he is not only a disgruntled, resigning employee; he is mm-hmm. also a whistleblower. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know. It just, it just really kind of confounds me. The whole issue confounds me. But you can't whitewash this with the fact that by saying, "Well, he was just a disgruntled employee." That, in this particular case, doesn't hold water. Well, he was a top It's end. just like a 35-year-old fire hose. He, well, he, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to hold water. I understand that. And by the way, uh, fire hoses don't spring leaks. They explode. That's right. Well, <laughs> when I went through fire training, of course, <laughs> things were different then. We didn't have OSHA. Right. And uh, so there were, <laughs> we had to prove ourselves. And in order to be certified by that department to be a firefighter, you had to be able to handle a two-and-a-half-inch hose. That's the big one that you fight fire with. With a, a straight-tip nozzle with an inch-and-an-eighth tip putting out 265 gallons a minute at 65 PSI, pounds per square inch tip pressure. If you couldn't do that, you, you didn't finish training. And now they don't even allow things like that. Wow. And most of these fire I, I, I departments thinking, are using you know, when, an inch and a half hose 
at the front door of the fire. I was thinking, you know, when I was 18 years old, I was 118 pounds soaking wet. I don't think I... <laughs> I think I would have taken off like a rocket. Well, they they train you that way too, mm-hmm. because they put you on a hose line, and they keep building the pressure until it did lift you off the ground. So you learn that experience, because you can tell when it's going to happen. And if you're going to drop the hose and run, and you haven't had a chance to shut it off yet, right? Which way do you go? Straight. Straight forward. Even yeah. though you get blasted maybe with the water, mm-hmm. you straight, get out of the forward. way of that uh, 50-pound nozzle clunking you on the head because it can't reach you. Because it whips around like a snake. <laughs> it just makes sense. Go straight forward. <laughs> go out of reach. But a lot of people, your reaction is to drop it and run towards the truck. Of course, the hose is chasing your ass because it's whipped. <laughs> It knows no boundaries. The only restriction it has is its length. Mm-hmm. When we come back from the top of the hour break, which is coming up here pretty shortly, we're going to Oatman. Yes, we are. Yes. I, I told you we'd go to Oatman. Met some great people there last night. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear your report about Oatman. Now, I, I read a little bit about it on Facebook, but, uh, you know, there's there's nothing like the Frank Costigan storytelling that, you know, I just you know sit back by the fire. And by the way, Bubble on the way up there... Mm-hmm. It was dark, getting dark, and Burroughs were on that road, on Boundary Cone, coming from town, and stopping <laughs> to see any car that stopped. There were some people decorating the, the bushes on the side of the road with Christmas stuff. The Burroughs in there pushing them around trying to get something to eat. Uh-huh. So we stopped. So There was a little baby one. It Uh-oh. couldn't have been more than a few weeks old. And it's got that little sticker on its head from BLM that says, don't feed me carrots because my stomach is weak. Mm-hmm. So my daughter gets out to take pictures of, there's four of them, two adults, females, and two, what do you call them? Jacks. No, a, a young burrow. What is it? Donkey? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't, it's I not don't a know. colt. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. She's taking its picture, and its mother came around to the side door that she left open and started rummaging around through my car looking for something to eat. <laughs> it was actually eating a piece of paper off the seat. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that sounds like, you know, some of the tricks that, you know, that uh, uh, foreign nationals uh, play on uh, visiting visiting soldiers they they send the kids out to make a distraction while the adults go and rummage through the supplies but uh anyway we had fun but i caution everybody driving up there on boundary cone especially at dusk be careful those animals blend in with the side of the road and you you may not recognize them as an animal, until it's sitting in your window, That's, splattered. Yeah. So use caution. Coming out of there when we left after a couple hours, my daughter says, "How come you're driving so slow?" I said, "Remember those burrows that were on the road on the way into town? They're here somewhere." And we did see one. Mm-hmm. Just kind of strolling along. <laughs> By the way, uh, the Boundary Cone Road uh, Mystic 
mystic uh, uh, mail issue that we talked about last week. Yeah. Still have no gotten gotten any answer. I have had people contacting the, uh, me wanting to know if they could sue the post office for discrimination for not delivering it to their house. You know, I mean, it depends on how it's set up. Now, a lot of these new developments, say like in Bullhead City, have these uh, massive, you know, yeah, uh, mail distribution places. So uh-huh. the post office, they just go and open it up, put in the, put in these mailboxes. I I don't have a problem with that. It just makes it you know sort of a pain in the butt for uh, for you to go and and check the mail on a regular basis. You can't lose your key. Yeah, but I I still think it's wrong. You know, and, and they call it uh, the USO, Universal Service uh, Operation or whatever that they go by. Uh-huh. And it's a standard, a minimum standard of service that they provide everybody. But why is it some people get home delivery and others have to go to the post office, not only go there to pick it up, but they have to rent a box at their own expense? Why is that? If you're not delivering to my house, you should give me a box. I agree. I agree, and that's actually something you're going to have to take up with your U.S. Senator, Congressman, whatever. We're not done with that subject. We are for today. Yeah, we are for the day, but we're not done with that by any means. Because, frankly, I'm going to get that lady a mailbox. Okay. I'm going to get my my mission in life is to get that lady a mailbox. There's no reason why an 87 year old woman has to travel. To Fort Mojave. You know, the post office up there by uh, Safeway? Yeah. From Bounty Crone Road all the way up to Safeway just to get her mail one way. There's no reason. None. I can't think of any. <laughs> anyway, it is the Rob Hansen Radio Program right here on the Tri-State's Undisputed Talk Leader, KTUX 1340. And we'll be back after top of the hour news for another half hour. It is the bonus half hour right here on the Tri-State's Undisputed Talk Leader, KTOX 1340 AM and the Rob Hansen Radio Program, which is me. Oh, my goodness gracious me. Radio Rob Hansen. And I'm joined here with Frank. Say hi, Frank. Hi, Frank. Good job, man. I'll tell you what. Compliant. <laughs> Let's get on with this. It's the Rob Hansen Radio Program with Radio Rob right here on KTOX 1340. Now with FM. That's right. Now with FM 104.1. And, of course, you can listen to us on the Internet at www.ktox1340.com. Can I have a question from somebody in Oakland? Sure. Go right ahead. How would somebody find uh, listen to a previous show? Well, you know, that's a, that's a very good question. I don't know. No. I'm kidding. <laughs> I do know. I helped set it up. Go to the uh, ktox1340.com website. And then uh, let's see, go all the way to the top and then click on programs and find the Rob Hansen radio program. And uh, when you when you show up there, when it loads, you will see episodes one through 18. What about right there. for the daily show that I'm on? The daily show that you're on? I don't know. Whoops. 
All right. I'll check with somebody else about that. <laughs> the Daily Show that you're on, whether they whether they do the recording or not, that's up to the folks that do the show. All right. That's, you know, so if, if, they're, if they're doing a daily thing, then they're doing a daily thing. If they're not, they're not. I, I do have one of your episodes saved. It's not up here, though. Which one is it? Uh, it was the one where Larry Adams came in and was talking uh, talking about the uh, the bond issue. The bond issue. He came in Friday to talk about this issue. Yes, he did. So, anyway, <laughs> he has a different take on it than what we were talking about today. Oh, well, you know that's okay. And uh, I just. <clears throat> but you know, uh, I did get a, some people are talking to me. Maybe Bullhead City should just respond to fire. And not advertise all these other things. The SOP manual that he was talking about, right? Standing standard operating procedures, are what the firefighters use. This is how you train them. This is what you expect of them. It's not for the public, like it, it indicated here. What they, what the public would see if they came in, mm-hmm. would be the operations manual. Okay. However, two different things. However, on you know. Stating that, okay, and uh, I, I'm, we, we talked about this off off, uh, off the air a little while ago, but, you know, stating that, it is still a state inspectable item. The state fire marshal comes in and says, Let, let's see no, they SOP. Don't. There is no state fire marshal in Arizona anymore. Oh, okay, not anymore, huh? They couldn't fund it anymore, so two, about two years ago, it went by the wayside. It's a token person down there. But the state, but they don't have a staff. But the state could come and see it, right? Possibly. Okay. Now, but the, but you're not under their jurisdiction. That makes it weird. Now, That's weird. police departments That's are different. Weird. The police departments are under the uh, supervision of post mm-hmm. police officer standards and training. Okay, and every police officer has to be certified. If you lose your certification through post, you can't hold a job in, in the state of Arizona. Okay, I did well, as a law enforcement officer. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, I knew that, but I did not. Yeah. Fire department. So, so okay, no wonder we're all screwed up because nobody's, nobody. There's, no, uh, there's no, technically there's, no oversight. There's no oversight. That's what and the board you're, you're, is for. You're only responsible to the elected board. Yes. So the the only people in a position of any kind of power are the board members. And I'm going to say something awful. Go ahead. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> They're a rubber stamp. In many areas, they are. And that's why many areas of fire service have got themselves in trouble. Like years ago, we used to harp on the Golden Valley Fire Department. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chief that used to be out there, basically, in our opinion, was running that department into the ground. They spent big percentage of their budgeted money of their reserves trying to get certified to be the uh, ambulance service for their district rather than the way they'd been doing it through a private ambulance company are we talking about golden valley fire district yes we are oh my goodness gracious me and uh anyway the state did not give them their uh certificate well, they gave it to him, then they of took necessity. it away. Yeah, they gave him a temporary. But I mean, they, which was they, a whole, which was a whole other fiasco altogether, because the uh, the guy that gave it to him, 
then got axed because he was uh, was dipping in into something he wasn't supposed to be dipping into, and oh my gosh, it was, it was yeah funny. <laughs> it really was. But uh, sorry, Frank. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but when Dave Hayes was here, mm-hmm. he was critical of the operation of uh, several fire departments, especially Bullhead City. Not of the firefighters themselves. Never. But of the management uh, procedures that they had going. And he, you know, he'd been harping on that for a decade. So to me, none of this is a surprise. It's a surprise to me that somebody had the nuts to get up there and say it. That's what has surprised me as well. And so, somebody had the intestinal fortitude to get up there and actually do it and then resign over it. Yeah. And, accept, you know, and buy it. Okay. Okay. But let's go to Oatman. Oatman. I'm, I'm done with the fire district up in Bullhead City right now. Last night, well, yesterday Santa Claus came to Oatman oh, at 1.30 oh. in the afternoon, riding on a fire truck. Mm. He wasn't driving it, and there was no reindeers pulling it. So technically it wasn't a sleigh. <laughs> but that big, bright, yellow fire truck with a guy in a red suit, you couldn't miss it. And I posted pictures of that on the Costigan Report. But anyway, they also had a lot of shindigs going on in town, including a bake sale, which I missed. Oh, no. But I did get over. I started off my visit. I was invited to uh, Route 66 Apparel, the motherload business. Motherload Apparel. And... uh, I'd been in there many, many times in the past, but it's totally changed now because they've got new equipment in there for producing almost anything. They call it heat transfers, vinyl uh, sublimation, custom printing of your design on anything. Anything. Yeah. Picture or logo, shirts, hats, mugs, koozie, whatever that is, magnets, banners, flags, signs, and whatever you need printed we can do it they got a machine in there hey do you suppose they could never mind <laughs> they, they do everything but tattoo your body well that's what i was going to ask and can they you know. just don't bend over in there oh my goodness but they even have a machine that'll make a 30 foot long banner three feet wide and any colors bright or whatever you want nice i, I, I may have to go in there and talk i, to I was thinking you know what we did one of those would go Perfect, right over the front of this station. Mm-hmm. Home of Frank Costigan. And anyway, there's coffee cups, mugs, with anything you want. So I showed her a picture of a badge from the department I used to be on. Mm-hmm. I said, can you do that on a cup? Yes. So my daughter's going to email her the thing, and we're going to get some things done. Nice. Maybe also, we'll, you know what? We should give one away. We should. We should. We'll, do, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll work on that later. But, uh, come up with a. Oh, heck, we'll just pick somebody and give it away too. Anyway, I'm not yeah. much for games. Not well, something. I had a whole collection of coffee cups with different departments emblems that I worked on, worked for, mm-hmm. police and fire, and uh, some my son had got me from the highway patrol. And when I was managing uh, loss prevention for home base. I was out of town. Somebody broke into my office and broke, smashed all those cups. Some of them were irreplaceable. 
Well, I'm going to see if we can come up with a facsimile. Recreation. Yeah. See what we can do. Let's go to the phones real quick. KTUX, you are on the air. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? Okay, well, you're on past the hour, so I know what that means. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That means I'll be turning the station again. Oh, we're sorry to hear that, but I understand. Yeah, uh, Frank, you need to talk to that Steve guy and get that. I know. (laughs) Yeah, uh, blankety blank, 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 blank. He's listening. Off the air. (laughs) He's listening to you. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. So I met people that knew I was coming to town. Mm -hmm. I mean, I met a lot of listeners. I knew a lot of people there. A lot of people know my name there because of this radio station. Of course, you know, we've been talking about Oatman for like uh, Johnny Cash and... uh, June Carter talking about going to Jackson. <laughs> but <laughs> and and yes, Oatman, we we will admit it that you have been the butt of a lot of our jokes. But but we love we you. brought a lot of change there in, in certain areas. One of them over the years was you know I was very critical of the outdoor fire department they had. Mm-hmm. Eventually they got it under a cover. They don't have walls yet because What's that takes money. But, uh, you know, vast improvements in that department over the years. And now, recently, the, the fire chief there uh, resigned, and they named the battalion chief who was there as the new chief. Mm. So I met him last night because the shindig last night at Judy's Bar was a uh, potluck where you were going there to meet the new chief and, and firefighters from the community. Which is what I did, and uh, I didn't get it. I talked to the chief. I invited him in here to talk on the radio about his goals and objectives. Who the hell is that? I don't know, but somebody's somebody's blowing up your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hi, Jack. Anyway, hi Jack. A, okay, <laughs> no, okay. I'll give that message to Jolene when I get home. All right, great. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious me! You know what? This is a good time to take a quick break, Frank. It is the Rob Hanson Radio Program right here on the Tri-State's Undisputed Talk Leader KTUX 1340, and we'll take a quick break. Then we'll come right back to our Oatman Report. you for as little as $25 a week. For more information, email us at info at ktox1340.com. That's info at ktox1340.com. Info at ktox1340.com. KTOX. KTOX. The Tri-State's Talk Leader.
And welcome back. It is the Rob Hansen Radio Program right here on the Tri-State's Undisputed Talk Leader. That'd be KTUX 1340 AM right here in beautiful downtown Needles, California on this cold, blustery day. Well, I got a question somebody sent me. Okay. Why are there red and blue lights on the top of the Oatman fire truck? I thought blue was just for cops. Well, coming from California, you're right. (laughs) Blue is restricted strictly for fire trucks, and it Uh took an act from the legislature to even allow blue on, I mean, they're only allowed on police vehicles. It took an act of the legislature to put that in the vehicle code. Because before that, it was only, you were only allowed white and red and you had to have at least one steady burning red among all that other thing and you were limited to seven uh, front facing lights on the front of a fire truck I don't know if they've changed that part of it but some of them here in Arizona I mean you're coming down highway 95 and it looks like like a a Christmas 16 uh, (laughs) freight trains coming down the street frankly, frankly Frank as well as it should. But let's go back to Oatman. Yeah. Oatman. So where where else did you visit? Well, I didn't go to the other places. I went to Judy's because that's where everybody was. Uh-huh. Met the fire chief. And there was probably about 10 firefighters from Oatman Fire Department there as well. And they had the pool. my daughter thought, well, let's go play pool over there. Well, the pool table turned into a serving table. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, it's a little little hard to bank around the uh, <laughs> yeah. the macaroni salad. <laughs> but while I was there, I met the owners of New Diggins, who are new to town. Okay. I don't know how long they've been there. And uh, that's Darren and Regina Lowry. And Darren is the president of the uh, Chamber of Commerce now. Okay. And what do they do? And Sue from... Uh, Mother Load Apparel is the vice president. But they own the New Diggins. It's a gift and heirloom uh, business. Okay. And it's been there since 1980. Longstanding business, and they, they bought it? And yeah, and they, they're living in, in Oatman. Best of residence. luck to them. Best of luck. What's, so, what's that last one there? Anyway, uh, I enjoyed talking to you and uh, meeting the people. And they're all listeners. Everybody, it seems, in Oatman knows who we are. Because <laughs> we know who you are. Oh, yes, we do. Then I ran into an old friend, Crazy Ray. C- Crazy Ray? Remember Crazy Ray from Twisted Tees? I do. Well, he's moved to Cool Springs, which is eight miles further up the road. Okay. And he's got... Some monster spot up there. I see him posting all the time. So if you're looking for Crazy Ray, he's not in Oatman now. He's at Cool Springs. And when you get to Cool Springs, he'll find you. There you go. You don't need to look hard. <laughs> now, were the were the uh, gunfighters there last night? Yeah, but they weren't wearing their guns. Oh, okay. But I did meet a very interesting guy who... Uh, Told me his son is a Navy SEAL, and I was wearing this Navy jacket, the leather jacket, which is why the subject came up. And his son works in the White House on a special assignment. 
and I can't tell you what that assignment oh, that's, is. That's fine. I'm but, not, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't about to ask. I was, I was uh, going, hmm, that's... That's pretty interesting. Pretty so I gave him a message to give his son to deliver to the president. Oh. And I can't give you the message because I don't want you to get it before the president. <laughs> and it's not bad. <laughs> I didn't think it would be. I, hi, how you doing? <laughs> anyway, Oatman is a great town to go I to. Wonder, I wonder if we could get the President of the United States to call in. Hey, I'm sure just, that I can just, say something off we are, key enough to demand a response at least on Twitter. Oh, please don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be Twitter-fied. I, 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 would, I would be thrilled to have the President of the United States, regardless of who it is, you know, ring the phone, and I see over here on the on the uh, display, White House. White House. Like, oh my goodness, we're in deep doo doo now. Well, I've talked to several presidents. I used to go to lunch with Ronald Reagan quite regular before he became president, after he was governor of California. But he'd stop in. We'd have coffee when he'd come through LAX with his band of. <laughs> Secret Service agents. But the, the most uh, memorable was at Ontario Airport. I come walking into my office. I was superintendent of operations out there. And I come in from some aircraft emergency, and I needed to use my phone. I come in, and there's Gerald Ford sitting at my desk behind it with Secret Service all around. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Can I help you? <laughs> anyway, so the Secret Service says, who are you? I said, well, who are you? Well, we're here to guard the president. I said, well, I'm here to kick him out of my chair. <laughs> and he jumped out of the chair. I said, take it easy. I don't want you falling down. Because <laughs> remember, he used to fall a lot. Yes, I do. Anyway, he thought it was quite comical. <laughs> you know, my, my mother told this story when she was alive that uh when uh early early in in her life she uh the was it? johnson lyndon bain johnson's family stopped in a little restaurant in rollins wyoming why because they were hungry <laughs> uh, i they stopped in they they ate dinner here would you like to would you like to know what my mother had to say about that i want to know what he ate she didn't tell me what they oh. ate. She just commented on... <laughs> the, <clears throat> on. Come on, Frank. Now, I know I'm the only one around here that likes fried okra, but, you know, that's okay. No no account for taste on my part. But What'd your she, mom she, say? She, she commented that, the, that his family, his, especially his kids, yeah. were pigs. Really? Ate like pigs, I talked they like, ate like pigs. birds. <laughs> Lady Bird Johnson. <laughs> Oh, they sat, sat, sat there. They 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 just huh. were, were rude. They were really. They were uh, ate ate table manners like a pig. Didn't know pigs had table manners, but you know if they did. It probably resembled them. So that's that's what she had to say about it. So that was her experience meeting somebody from there. Anyway, with that, it is the Rob Hanson Radio Program. We'll see you next week.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.